Welcome to the Magic Hour with Paulie Malinaji. Proudly representing his hometown of Brooklyn, New York. Paulie Malinaji is a two-time world champ and Showtime boxing analyst. Joined by his sidekick, the world-famous Peter Cards, they break down boxing better than anyone on the planet. This is the Magic Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, Boy, I'm gonna have to get a card, Seth Nyman. We're back for the magic hour. And how long was the last time we did a show? June. That long. Holy you know, somebody. Holy somebody Holy 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 no, no, somebody over the weekend. Somebody over the weekend. <laughs> somebody over the weekend comes up to me and says, I haven't done a show since February. I'm like, bro, I think you missed something. There's no way I haven't done a show since February. Has it June. Been? No, they're not, they're not up on the new stuff. Yeah, June. I, told, I told him he's got to go to Anchor. Right? Is that what did I tell them right? Because I don't even know how to follow my own podcast anymore. Listen, all you can tell Paul, all you gotta do is tell people Google the magic hour, Paulie Malinaji, they'll find it. Yeah, you'll just find it if you Google it? Yes. Oh wow, all right, that's easy enough. Yeah. Why don't you guys tell me this before? Google is a son of a bitch, isn't it? <laughs> no, get you, that's just get that's you, all I gotta do. Paul, what you get gotta your do, head out of your ass what's and Google thing, it. You, what's the things you have to do? My magic hour and then Paulie Malinaji. Yes. Well that's that's easy. I don't understand. I didn't think of that myself. Yeah, we got to come hey, up with a scheme, Seth. You wait a second. Wait a second. You put it right on Twitter, right on your pinned. It's pinned right on your page. Yeah, that's what I'm I didn't even realize. I didn't even realize it was that easy. Like I you know, guys are asking me questions. I told them. I said, I, I know that I told the kid. I said, honestly, I, I don't. I don't. I think I've done shows since February. I mean, I don't remember. I don't have a great memory, but I said, I swear, I've done shows since February. Are you checking anchor because I you might still be on the old on the old shows. No, what were we, what were we on before? We were on something else before. I said, you got to check on, you gotta We're check on the same it. place. It's, a, it's just, and you have it on Twitter. It's like, all you have to do is click the, it. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Not a lot of people see the new shows that we've done. So obviously there's a problem somewhere. Somewhere along uh, the line, there's a, there's a lack of communication. There's, a lot of people have said the, these things like they haven't done shows in months or something. And I think it's it's the whole new, new thing on Anchor, no? Let me ask your opinion, Seth. Yes. Joe Rogan's been getting a lot of traffic. He was on like Fox News and everything because... He was interviewing the guy Musk, the CEO yeah, of Tesla. Tesla. That's that they got a lot of action because of that. Like, what do we got to do? Do I got to shoot heroin on the show? Um, I don't know if that'll work. I mean, you can kill somebody on the show or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the heroin thing. I, the heroin, yeah. heroin might be able to get like, a, like weed is like the new thing. Weed is like we got to get an extra couple of clicks. No. Yeah, maybe you just get Zab Jude on the show. I think that'll work. Weed is no, but weed. No, seriously, like weed is like the new like uh the, the new hip thing. You know, it's Absolutely. like. It's like uh, it's like it's like uh, Jordans when they came out, or like the the the, the Yeezys when they came out. <laughs> like now getting it's... in on sunlight before there was fucking sunlight. Yeah, exactly. It's like so, like Joe Rogan got Elon Musk to smoke weed, and that's it, bro. Now, now, now Tesla's stock is going down and everything, but you know Joe got Joe got, Joe got a lot of hits. I bet you know. Sure so, so I don't know. If, I don't know if everyone has hit that kind of popularity, though. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't. But people know in the podcast world, Joe is already a made man. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 So he, he doesn't know shit about fighting, but he's but he's made man with podcasts. We'll yes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So what? Uh, so what? We we got a lot of fights to talk about. No, this we. I mean, we have we we missed a lot of stuff. I mean, I, can we tell me when the last time we did a show is so we can June uh, June fourteenth. June fourteenth, three wow. months ago. Three months ago, well, that guy was way off. But that guy was way off. Yeah, February to June, he missed a lot of shows. He must have missed a, at least a handful of shows, no? Yes. 
hopefully he caught himself up now. So Google and Paulie Malinaj. I'm gonna start telling people, right? Now. You know, because we're we're in the inconsistent world of podcasts, right? Or now. go to your Twitter. Or go, or go to my Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We always put the local, the low latest one on Twitter, right? Yeah, but I'll show you all that. I've taken like a, I've taken like a little bit of a Twitter sabbatical, you know, to a degree. You know? Hiatus. Yeah, like a hiatus. I'll, I'll jump in and out. I don't, I don't stay logged on anymore. I you saw know? that you said uh, F the FBI and F Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was done. I was done. Yeah, I was done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got, I got sick of everything. I got sick of the whole narrative. You know, I, I, I was done. I had, I had, I had, I had to go in, I had to go in another direction. You know what? I, I feel a lot better though. I gotta be honest with you, like. Like, do you, so know how, do you know how it felt? Yeah, I felt liberated. Do you know how it felt to, like, be in Italy for 20, 21 days and not have to hear about anything? Like, not even off Twitter? Like, you know, you know how that felt? How'd it feel? It felt amazing, bro. Like, like I, showed, <laughs> I showed back up to the U.S. and I got caught up on, like, Kaepernick getting, up, getting involved with Nike and all this stuff. And all this, but I was like, my God, well, I, well, make, send me back to Italy, please. I was, I was at peace over there. Who, who wants to hear about this shit? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, so, like I don't want to hear about the, the world's problems and the, the, all the problems over here we're having. I, I, I was in Italy. I was chilling, bro. You know. And just do it, Paulie. Just do it. You know what's you know what's funny is people always make this about race with um, obviously the flag and the kneeling and all that. But it is you have race. guys. No, but you have so guys like. Way, can I can I finish? Go I'm ahead. Saying? Go right. Go ahead. Right. You have Let's guys like you mm-hmm. that. Way before all this started, you stopped watching football just because of the rules of fucking. It's like yeah. flag football. Yeah. So yeah. they got, lost a lot of people. Yeah. I think yeah. the ratings have I been got, down since. I got, I got. I got tired. Sincerely, I got tired. I got tired because I didn't like the rules like changing, which I understood it was for safety. But I really thought like if you really make the doping testing much stricter in football. You'll probably make it safer to begin with. Like, oh. why, why did that, why did Frank Gifford live to be like eighty five years old and he was normal when he died, but guys from the eighties are dying right now and are already dead. Many of them. You know what I'm saying? Because Juice. because because you 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 guys are on so much performance enhancers now that they're basically running locomotives, hitting you at, a, at running four three forties. You know what I'm saying? So like, of course, when they hit you, it's gonna rock your brain cells out of your head. You know what I'm saying? So so why don't you like? Why don't you make the drug testing a little bit better instead of changing the rules? And you probably won't have to change the rules. Because now you've changed the rules so much that every offensive record is getting broken by guys half as good as the guys set, who set them. You know what I'm saying? And, totally. And that was my problem with the NFL. And that's probably, you know, why I started losing interest. You know, I, I didn't like – I got watched – I grew up on Joe Montana and, and John Elway and Dan Marino. And then uh, Dan, Dan, Marino t- Dan Marino today would have thrown for 7,000 yards in a season. You know, <laughs> like Dan Marino with today's rules. Imagine, imagine, able to play. imagine you you would have had today's rules for the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. Can you imagine how many y'all Dan Marino's – you can't touch the receivers and you can't touch the quarterback. How yeah. are you going to stop Dan Marino? You know what I'm saying? Everybody's but, a scrambling quarterback. Like Charlie Wood would have had an Charlie Wood would have had an NFL career. He didn't have one because he didn't get drafted as a scrambling quarterback back then. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine the things you have. How, how do we wind up on football? I want to know how we wind up on football. Paul, I ask you a question. How do you expect a lineman to weigh three hundred fifty pounds without being on performance enhancing drugs? He needs the drugs to get to the three fifty. Yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> Especially you ever notice, like in the eighties, they were fat. Like Reggie White was fat. You know, now, 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 even the linemen have like uh, uh, Look six packs and like they're, they're, they're just huge. Like, you know, they, I don't know, bro. Uh, anyway, I, I got turned off way before the politics came into sports and into, into this sport anyway. And then, and then when you added the politics, I just got, I was like, all right, bro, this is. This let's is, talk about is, boxing. Yeah. Yeah. Of, let's talk about boxing. So let's, let's go back. So we got, we went to June. Can't go all the way back. 
We went to Jewel. Oh, we didn't really have a lot of fights in the summertime. I mean, what? Wow. I mean, let's say we we missed the Mikey Garcia card. All right, so we'll we'll talk about that. Before that, though, did we really have anything else? Right. Well, well Kovalev comes to mind too. I'd like to talk Kovalev, about that. Yeah, Kovalev, yeah, Kovalev losing to Alvarez, right? But that was after Mikey Garcia. Let's start with the yes. Mikey Garcia card with Robert Easter. You know, I thought uh, I thought Mikey fought a good fight. Honestly, I, I thought Robert. I want to say Robert sold himself short, but I think him not throwing the right hand wasn't more uh, uh, a cognizant decision. I thought his footwork and and the way he was moving about the ring was putting him out of position to throw the right hand. It's, it's hard for me to explain it. It's hard for me to explain it um, without actually showing you. But he was moving his back leg first towards the left, like and then and then and then driving his and then bring his left leg to the left as well. Like when he was circled to his left, right? So, so but when you move your back leg first instead of your front leg when you go to the left, you angle yourself out and you make yourself a smaller target defensively, you know, because now you're you're in a straight line instead of squared. But but which okay, it'll protect you a little more. But what it's gonna do is it's gonna take your right hand out of play because your back leg. Is the one that's got the weight on it for your right hand. It has to be properly balanced for your right hand. If you move your back leg first to the left, and then you move your front leg, which is your left leg, to the left, you're being led by your back leg going first, which got to be the opposite. It's got to be your, your back leg pushing. Uh, you're pushing off your back leg towards your left, so your left, so your left leg is actually moving first. I don't even know if I'm sounding like I like I'm making sense to people who've never boxed or people who haven't who, who don't understand what I'm talking about. But but your left leg has to be stepping to the left first. It's got to be pushed off by the right leg. And that's if you want to set up your right hands. I'm not saying what Easter was doing was completely wrong because there's a time where you want to make yourself a smaller target and do that. I'm just saying for the duration of the fight, to do that all the time, you're putting yourself out of position to be able to really properly uh, set up proper offense with a right hand. Now, Easter, credit to Easter, he won 12 rounds. He, uh, he took some good shots. He gave a couple as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a doubt about who won the fight. And Easter, you know, fought like a champion. But uh, credit to Mike Garcia as well, you know, for uh, continuing to uh, to win these big fights. I don't know that I'm convinced about him at welterweight. Uh, you know, maybe if there was a lesser welterweight champion. But right now, the welterweight division is not really uh, – there's not really much, many lesser fighters at the top of it, you know. So it's tough to uh, – it's tough to really – it's tough to really say who, who Mike Garcia could actually fight and – and you know, not be the underdog against. He's he's a definitely a great fighter, but it's it's a very tough weight class. Do you, do you admire like his uh, his moxie? I guess you could say like you know his to to challenge himself and, and move up because he's been so dominant at the lower weights. Um, no, I mean, I, I listen. I, I I admire the fact that he's a, a a terrific fighter. You know, I don't know. I don't have to. I don't. You don't have to do crazy things for me to admire. You know, I can I can I can admire <laughs> the fact that he's a skilled fighter. And uh, and he and he fights a skilled fight with a, an entertaining an entertaining style every time he gets in there. I don't have to, I don't have to see you try crazy things to. You he's know, not I, I don't need, the, you don't need to be evil Knievel for me to pray. He's not on the pound for pound list because he climbs up a bunch of weight classes. He's on the pound for pound list because technically he's very sound. He does very well. He prepares very well. His fundamentals are great. He's got a great chin. You know, it, it's all the intangibles that come with it. So he could stay at lightweight or junior welter and and still be a Hall of Famer and a pound for pound guy. You and know, you guys think timing timing is another thing that seems like he just has perfect timing in the ring, no? Yeah, well, that comes from great technique. That comes from great uh, fundamentals, uh, hand fundamentals, positioning. hand positioning, and balance. You know, basically technique. You know, so I think uh, I think that obviously all, all all of that helps. 
and of course, and he's entertaining, you know. And, and he's also he's a, he's a good guy, man. You know, he's he's for the people. He's he's a very approachable guy. He's uh, not, you know, when you see him at a public event, you don't feel like intimidated to go up to him if you're a fan, you know. Like he's it's very approachable. He's a good guy overall, you know. And I, and I think uh, he's good for boxing, you know. I just. I, and, I, and I think he should be appreciated for things like that. I don't think you need to. I don't think you should wait to for the guy to do something absolutely berserk to uh, to, to to appreciate him. Because then, if you if you really need something like that to appreciate him, then you probably won't appreciate him when he gets beat anyway. So you, you know you you're a jerk off to begin with. So, so you know. Like, <laughs> so exactly. You don't you don't, you don't you don't want to be appreciated by jerk offs anyway. So, well, let me ask you then. You, I guess you guys want to see him fight Lomachenko then, right? That's that's who you think. Yeah, he, I yeah. think him and Lomachenko will be a fun fight. I think it's a more more feasible fight. It's just tough, you know, with the politics and boxing and whatnot. Because yeah. really, if Bob Arum is going to get Lomachenko beat, and I think Mikey beats Lomachenko, even though I think Lomachenko is a great fighter, I don't think Mike Bob Arum wants to get Lomachenko beat by a non-top-ranked fighter. You know, like the thing about the business of boxing is when you get your star knocked off, you want to get him knocked off by one of your other fighters so that your other fighter kind of inherits that stardom. If you get him knocked off by, if you get your star fighter knocked off by a fighter from another stable, you know you that fighter from that other stable is in, kind of inheriting that star power and you don't get to keep it. You're doing the you know? work for them. So you've done the work for the other promoter for him, you know? So, so a lot of times the business of boxing will prevent uh, a matchup like this from happening just on the fact that, you know, you know, the loser is, is, is the loser is basically giving that star power to the other side, you know, without, without really gaining anything from it. Understood. Who else was on that card? Was it, uh, was that you were there? Trout? Huh? Yes. Yeah, Jamel Charlo was Austin Trout. I thought Trout was I thought Trout did a, a decent job. You know, I thought that fight was closer than it seemed. It just seemed like Charlo was uh was the more explosive guy. Charlo was the more you know, he, he just looked like the younger guy against the veteran. You know what I'm saying? He, I, like and he was trying he was, he was more energy and, and Charlo and, and Trout is a is a veteran guy who knows how to uh take advantage of the fact that he tried too hard. But he's not able to take advantage enough to make you totally pay for it. But he can make you look a little bad. Jamel, I think, has a ton of skills and is a great fighter. I think both the brothers are. But I think he was trying too hard to look good. And sometimes he fighting hard too hard to look good against a, a, a solid veteran and ex-champion like Trout. You know, he can, he can kind of use it against you. And I thought Trout did use it against them at times and started, like, stealing rounds here and there. And, you, and you, I thought Trout was stealing rounds that you didn't realize he was stealing, you know, because he was doing it so quietly. And so I think the one card of 113-13, 113-113, uh, I think one card was, right, was it? Is that the, was that one of the cards, Seth, 113, 113? I believe so, yes. Yeah. It might, to the, naked, to the naked eye, yeah, to the naked eye, it might look like it was, like, out of this world. But I didn't think it was totally, totally, like, inconceivable. Like, I thought Jamel won the fight. But I didn't, think, I didn't think it was totally inconceivable because there were quiet rounds that Austin, you could technically give to Austin that you might not. You might not be giving it to Austin unless you're really, really paying attention, you know? So so I thought, you know, in the end, I think, you know, probably if you had to give it to somebody, you give it to Trout, but it's not inconceivable to say, oh, Trout did better and possibly even stole enough rounds to get a draw out of it. And uh, how do you see, a, I guess, the potential of a, a Charlo-Hurd a fight going? Jamel and Hurd, I think, is a, is a fight that's going to be talked about more and more. Uh, I think it's a great fight. I think it's one of the best fights you can make in the, in the in the boxing, and it's definitely the best fight you can make in that division. I I, I don't have a quite a, a a pick a winner picked out yet. You know, I think Hurt has to come back from surgery. I want to see how he looks. Uh, but I, I know the only prediction I have is that it's a great fight, and I think it's even even not just between not just because it's between two great fighters, but also because it's stylistically a solid fight as well. You know, um, 
both guys uh, do things very well, but they do it a little bit different. I think they'll they'll mesh well, really well into into, into one another one another style. You know, so we'll see. Yeah, man. Plays out. So that's uh, that, is that all the July uh, the July card, right? That's when we that's when Showtime did, yeah. Yeah, then we have the Kovalev and Leder Alvarez. I mean, that was a I, – I, listen, I always thought Leder Alvarez was a good fighter. I, I never thought he was a bad fighter. He had – I, I think I, I worked his fight against uh, Pascal in his, in his uh, when he beat Pascal, you know. Um, and I thought uh, – and I've, you know, been around him enough times. I think I've worked maybe another fight of his. And I've always felt he was a solid, great fighter. I just thought light heavyweight, you know, I, I think the Eastern Europeans are the dominant species in boxing. And I just thought light heavyweight was one of those divisions where there's too many Eastern Europeans. And it's going to be hard for a non-Eastern European to, to do anything, to, to get anything done, you know. Because uh, once you're fighting these Eastern Europeans, I think you're going to get beat. Uh, that was my feeling going, you know, in, in, uh, with this whole weight class. To me, uh, I like Adonis Stevenson. I respect him. But to me, the only reason he's champion is because he hasn't fought an Eastern European yet, you know. So... So I thought I, I just felt basically that you know it was the same thing with Elader Alvarez going into the fight with Kovalev, and so I I really felt that um you know as good of a fighter as Elader is, I really thought you know Elader you know is among the best light heavyweights in the world. I felt I just felt that Kovalev would be too much from too much power and you know it's a bit too much. But credit to Elader Alvarez and credit to Mark Ramsey, the trainer. I mean that was that was some performance, you know. Uh, coming, and dis- coming, and coming, discredit to Harold Letterman. Discredit <laughs> to Harold Letterman. <laughs> that was so ridiculous. That was, yeah, because Sergey was not winning every round. Um, uh, later was in the fight, but it was a competitive fight nonetheless. And uh, credit to him for getting him out of there. I mean, not only he won that fight in style. And that, and you know what another thing is? He I set I, that right hand up a few times. I, 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 do they have a rematch clause in that fight, Seth? I'm not sure, but yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, it's it interesting that Roy Jones, you know, thought uh, Kovalev was done after that fight. And I was wondering what your opinion was on that. Um, I don't think you're done, but you have to mentally still believe in yourself. And then it's possible that mentally you might be spent, you know, after the two fights with Andre Ward. And now uh, you got yourself back on the horse. You got to, you picked up a world title and then you lost it in a devastating fashion to Alvarez like this, you know. So you, it is normal to question yourself and you have to, it really depends on how much you want it. You know, Kovalev is married. He's got a kid. Like, I don't know how deep you're willing to dig anymore when you've got other things going on in your life. Sometimes, but it is sometimes, ironic. Sometimes it's a personal thing, you know, and, and some different guys react to it very differently. Right, and, and that person has to make that decision. It's ironic that Roy Jones, who just fought his last fight last year, um, is is making that assessment. Yeah. <laughs> True. True. The guy lost – I'm sorry. So the guy lost to the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world before he retired, Andre Ward. He lost twice. Once was a very close one, and once wasn't so close. And then he gets he gets cracked by this guy who's a beast. So, who's Roy Jones? With all due respect, who is he to say Kovalov is done? <laughs> if that's the case, Roy Jones should have been done after Tarva. Yeah, that's a good point too. I I, I just don't I just I, I I just don't know what's in Kovalov's mind. You know, and, and different people react differently to different things. You know, I don't know. You know, I, I think where Roy's coming from is you're not going. Maybe Roy's coming from experience where you're not going to be willing to dig as deep anymore once you go through things like this. Maybe Roy realized that as he as he as he went along in his in his career. You know that he wasn't. There were there were things when he once he passed a certain point and once he got knocked out a certain uh, a certain fight or whatnot that he realized you know he was never going to dig that deep again or he was never going to be able to summon certain things from his body or from his mind ever again you know maybe something from experience and that's a possibility too, um, 
But again, I think different people react differently to different situations or to the same situation sometimes. So we'll find out. You know, I don't know. You know, you have to assess everything. Though. It's not just about Sergey's career. It's about Sergey's family time and his life and everything and, you know, see what's important to him and whatnot. And uh, we'll see. I think if Sergey fights again, I think it will still generate interest. And then we'll, we'll see. We will see if we have a comeback story or we'll see that if a fighter, if it's a fighter that's really done, you know, because this, this division will give you, well, is, is not one that gives you that, that. It's not one that's forgiving and there's no gimmies here. You know, there's guys that aren't even champion that are in the waiting in the wings that are just monsters like Alexander Bostic. And then there's young champions like uh, Dmitri, Dmitri Bebol and, and Artur Berbia, you know. So I don't think there's anything, there's, a, there's really a lot, a lot of, a lot of there's soft no spaces, picking. or is there, is there any is there any soft spaces? And if there's a rematch close at Elliot or Alvarez, even a later, you know, he's coming. Later's coming back now with confidence. Sergey has to face the guy who's just knocked him out badly. You know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, it, it, I'm setting up a narrative here, but it's an interesting narrative, and obviously, it's an honest narrative. You know, and uh, and credit to a later. You know, coming in as an underdog, uh, coming in as a guy who's always shown himself well and has always shown up to fight. And uh, has shown himself to be skilled as well as determined in his career, and uh, and he and he and he and he, and he comes in and and, and, and achieves the dream of winning a world championship. So credit to later Alvarez and and a uh, big credit to Mark Ramsey as well for uh, coming up with that game plan as well. Whatever they did with that right hand, it was very 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 decisive. Uh, it was right hand happy. You could see he was shooting. He was Touching looking for the, the right hand, with the jab. and then he was it, you could see it was a, there was a game plan devised around the right hand, and you could tell it was. It was something specific they worked on, just the way they were delivering shots and the way they were del delivering their movement and whatnot. So credit to Alvarez and Mark Ramsey as well. It's a tough pill to swallow if you're Kovalev to, to not exercise if there is a rematch close. But sometimes the more educated, um, you know, and they say hindsight is twenty twenty, and and um, cooler heads will prevail, so to yeah. speak. I think I think if Kovalev <laughs> wants to continue, maybe a fight with Sullivan Barrera. Instead of instead of exercising his rematch clause, I think it's yeah, less dangerous. You, yeah, it's less dangerous. But Sullivan also comes off a loss. It's like, where do you? What does that do for you if you're Kovalev? I don't know. Hey guys, you get I back in the ring without getting your head knocked yeah, off again. Who's gonna buy the fight? Main guys, event. I see. He's not gonna be a main event. He's gonna exercise main event. Not gonna get any BLD. He is gonna exercise his right to rematch. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. So that you got to give the guy credit. He's got balls. Yeah. He's got character. And, and, and you know. That that's an inner decision he's got to make. You know, like Vladimir Klitschko could have done a rematch with Anthony Joshua. He went home, he thought about it, and he said, "You know what? I'm never going to be able to summon the, the 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 desire to the depths that I did on the first fight." And obviously, it's a lot easier to, of a decision to make when you probably just made 15, 20 million pounds uh, in that fight. Uh, Sergey didn't make anywhere near that fight that amount for and the later Alvarez fight. Yeah, and what you have in the bank already. So you know, Sergey didn't make anywhere near that amount of money. I'm sure he got paid well, but. But um, I think I think it's a it's much easier to make that decision when you're Vladimir uh, than it is when you're Sergey. So we'll see we'll see how it, how it plays out. And either way, we'll, we'll, I'm sure everyone will be, everyone will be tuning in nonetheless. Hey, what, what are your feelings on? There's been a lot of heavyweight fights in the last several weeks. What, what's hold on, your feel hold on. We just jumped. We just jumped. We we skipped Bird versus Alexander the same night. Oh, sorry, sorry. Bird versus Alexander. You know, I thought. Uh, I thought Alexander was controlling the action early. I, I thought he started to fade. Um, by the end of the fight, I know it, it was close. It could have won both ways. You know, I I, I, I wasn't convinced that Berto did enough late to win the fight. 
Oh, I thought Devin had looked had done well early, and I, honestly, I, I think Devin's getting some raw deals. You know, I thought uh, I thought he won the Victor, Victor Ortiz fight, and I thought he could have been given this one, or at least got a draw out of this one. You know, a good competitive fight though, nonetheless. But um, I'm not sure that you do Devin like that. You know, and on the same night that his brother actually got beat by Dennis Douglas, right? Mama's on, boy uh, on the undercard of the Kovalev and Alvarez card, so a tough night for the Alexanders. But I really thought that uh, that Devin. Um, Devin could have been given uh, a bit more benefits uh, of the doubt uh, in this fight, you know. I don't like I don't like the fact that the the guy unintentionally gets hooked on prescription pills from a surgery he had in boxing, and then cleans himself up, which it's got to be hard to do, mm-hmm. and then goes and gets two raw deals in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how do you not like? <laughs> That's enough, and I'm not even joking. How That's do you enough not to get you back on pills? Yeah, exactly. How do you not benefit the guy yeah. instead of taking away from the guy? Yeah, yeah it's all who are you rewarding here? Yeah, yeah. So we're hoping. You know, Victor we're Ortiz. I mean, uh, the kid was always nice to me when I met him, but uh, you got to call a spade a spade. That it was nowhere near a draw. It wasn't even close to a draw. I gave him maybe two rounds, okay. and then the Burrow fight. It was a close fight, but uh, I'm sorry, Devin won that fight for me. Uh, hopefully, uh, Devin keeps his head up and, uh, you know, exactly. we're in his corner. And, uh, you know, congrats to Andre Berlo. He got himself back in the mix. Um, he was actually in Italy at the same time I was, but he was in the northern part. I was in the southern part uh, recently. Uh, and that was it. You know, what, what, what were you talking about the heavyweight fights? We talked about Dillian White for Joseph Parker. Yep. Yeah, that was – that was uh, that's a big statement by Dillian White. Not, you know, Parker is an ex-world champion. Dropped him. He, he dropped him. Uh, you know, I – and Parker I, hurt him. Yeah, I didn't see the full fight. Parker had him out on his feet at the end of the uh, at the end of the twelfth round, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was they they went at it. Yeah, that was and 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 a statement when Joe Parker, you know, both guys show themselves to be uh, willing world class fighters, but uh, Dylan White's really quietly making some impressions. You know, I, I just feel like he's not g- g- given the credit he deserves. You know, this is a guy who only lost Anthony Joshua and almost had Joshua out of there himself. You know, in that fight, that was a. Uh, and he's come in, and he and he's ever since he's done, he's won that, he's he fought that fight, and he lost that fight. All he's done is win, you know. And and, and he's now he's beating better and better opposition. He's like DJ Khaled. <laughs> he's like DJ Khaled, right? <laughs> All he does is win, 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 no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, so he beats Parker, which I think is a big statement because Parker was coming off the loss to Anthony Joshua, and uh, was was an ex world heavyweight champion. So. So you know, I know Wild. I know uh, the White had been chasing Wilder and trying to make the Wilder fight, but it's a lot harder to make with the politics. A lot harder to fight to make with the politics. So I think he winds up in the Joshua rematch. Is what they're talking about now in the fall if, if Joshua gets through Povetkin unscathed. You know, I mean, in the spring if Joshua gets through Povetkin unscathed. And I mean, people are complaining about that, but really, I think White's done enough to earn a heavyweight title shot. And and you know, fortunately or unfortunately, the only heavyweight title shots you get are against either Wilder or Joshua because that's where they all have all the belts combined. You know, and Joshua has most of them. So if he can't get Wilder, then he's got to get Joshua. You know, I mean, you can't just leave Billy White on the sideline with the performances he's having and with the wins he's getting. Like it's just not fair to him. He deserves a shot. It's not fair to him, but it's not fair that Povetkin gets the mandatory either. So (laughs) I would like to see Povetkin fight fight a a Billy White before getting a shot like that. Yeah, well, that's WBA mandatory situation you know joshua has to either fight him when he gets stripped so he's got he's got to do that well i remember you mentioning too that ortiz would give uh joshua a lot of trouble too if that fight happened um yeah i think i think luis ortiz is trouble for anybody you know i don't i i love you know you would love to see these fights you know joshua already beat white and wilder already beat ortiz 
I would love for them to swap, you know, but, you know, politics are not going to uh, allow that. You know, I would love to watch Wilder fight White and I would love to watch Joshua fight Ortiz. You know, while you're not getting Wilder versus Joshua, there are so many potential fun fights you can make. And, and it's risky. just tough because, yeah, they're risky. You know, it's tough because of the politics, you know. Nobody's going to be dominant as much as Vladimir Klitschko was. Like, everybody, everybody used to complain about Vladimir Klitschko. The guy was so fucking good that maybe now you can appreciate how good he was. Instead, the, all, every moron out there is going to think, oh, just because the heavyweights weren't that good. No, no, they were good. They were good. Vladimir was that good. And before you know? Vladimir, there was Lennox Lewis. Yeah. And before <laughs> Vladimir, there was Lennox Lewis. So, so really, the issue, the issue is that... And it's a fun issue. It's a fun issue. It's not to discredit Joshua or Wilder, but you know they're a little bit, they're a little bit uh, more flawed than those dominant guys, you know. And so because they're flawed, you know they're they win, but they win with, with a risk. They win with a with a chance that they could lose every time they go out there and fight. And so you know, but don't you just love going into a fight not knowing who's going to win? I mean that that's also part of the fun. That's and then, and sometimes it makes you appreciate a guy more when you when you when he wins fights like that. You know, with Vladimir, you knew he was gonna win before he even went into the fight a lot of times. But that's because he was just so good. You know, you, you can't discredit that. You can't discredit the heavyweight division either. The heavyweight division was good. And, you know, it was there was there was solid solid. That was a solid ten years Vladimir Klitschko had, and and, and, he, and he beat all of them. You know, what I mean, I and I think the fact that he went life and death with Watt with Joshua even at forty one years old shows you know in his prime just how great the guy was. You know, so so you know. I think there's pros and cons about the the Wilder Joshua era. You know, it, they're just flawed enough to make it exciting, and I think that makes a lot of possibilities out there for a lot of fun matchups if they get made. What do you Hopefully. think of someone like uh, like nowadays in this era, in this heavyweight era, someone like a Samuel Peter? What do you think? Um, I still Big, think I, strong I, guy. I still don't know if Samuel Peter would uh would be able to match up to Joshua or Wilder, but I think he'd be he'd be in there for a good fight. You know, he he's a little bit he's like a poor man's Ortiz to me, Samuel Peter. You know, Ortiz to me is technically better than than, than, than Peter, but he punches just the same way. You know, like so. He hits as hard as Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They he's knocking everybody out. I you know I I, I think you know I I think uh, Peter would. You know, it would it would make some fun fights, Peter in his prime, but I don't think he would have beat Joshua or Wilder. But of course, I would have loved to watch them. You know, these are fights you would have loved to watch. You know, um, and I think, I think even the fight he had the first time with Vladimir, where you know he dropped him three times. You know, I think Vladimir really made a man of himself that night. I remember leaving Atlantic City Boardwalk Hall that night and saying, Vladimir turned the corner tonight. You know, he got up three times to win that fight, and he won it. And he won it, you know, handily. You know, he won almost all the rounds he was standing up in. So I, and I thought he had to show a lot of character to constantly get up off the canvas, and I thought he turned the corner that night, and, he, and obviously he did. He went on until he lost the Tyson Fury fight, you know. So you know, sometimes you know you uh, you learn a little bit about yourself in these tough fights, and I think Joshua Wilder are coming along in in a great way and maturing in a great way, both mentally and physically, and they're going to be continue to be fun to watch, but they're going to continue to be tested because they're not as dominant, you know. I think Joshua and Povetkin, you favor Joshua, but. Povetkin is a guy who is stern. He's sturdy, and 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 he and he knows how to make you make it rough, and he knows how to make it tough on you physically and mentally. So he's not going to go anywhere, and he's going to be a pesky guy for Joshua. And Joshua's going to have to deal with it, and he's going to have to he's going to be in a fight. And I and I do think Joshua wins, but I don't think Povetkin's going to make it any easier for him, you know. And uh, Fury's going to be tough for Wilder as well. Yeah, I think. Well, the, the enigma Fury is you know is 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 are we ever going to get the the guy that beat? Vladimir Klitschko a couple of years back, you know, two, three years ago. Are we ever going to see that guy again? Because he's become like an enigma. We know Fury's capable 
of some pretty good things. Some very, some very good things, actually, you know. But we don't know if that guy ever even exists anymore. He's kind of lost himself. He's he's lost the plot. He's he's gone he's gone haywire, and he comes back and he doesn't look so great in his comeback fights. But you know, he's he. he I'm not gonna say he's not gonna look great because he's won both fights. I, I think it's harsh to say he hasn't looked great. But you know what it is when you become accustomed to seeing much better from a guy, you know what he's capable of, and then you don't see it. You know, you tend to criticize. Sometimes guys spoil you. You know, Vlad, I think Tyson Fury spoiled us in the Vladimir Klitschko fight. You know, he was that good. And I think now suddenly you find yourself, oh, can he be that good? If he never gave the Vladimir Klitschko performance, you wouldn't be talking about it. You'd just be saying, okay, he just keeps winning and he's good, you know? But because he gave us the Vladimir Klitschko performance that night, you're always going to compare every performance of Tyson Fury to Vladimir Klitschko performance when he, when he beat Vladimir. And you're like, oh, man, he just can't get there anymore, can he? You know, so it's almost like an enigma. Does that Tyson Fury exist anymore? Or was that a one-off, you know? Because that Tyson Fury gives Wilder a lot of trouble, too, you know? Could that be a mix of of ring rust getting back yeah, in shape? Yeah, ring rust and, and also not caring. And, and uh, fighting down to his opposition. He and has it could be down for, yeah. Fighting down to his opposition, ring rust, and maybe not caring as much. I think if, if you haven't cared, I think a fight with Deontay Wilder will make you care. If the fight with Deontay Wilder doesn't make you care, then, bro, then, you know, then nothing in this sport will make you care at this point, you know, because you're fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world again, you know? So... So uh, here's hoping that it gets made soon, it gets finalized soon, and, it, and, and it's, it'll be a good fight. I, I have the hope that it is. You know, it's funny you say that. Our idol said that speech after losing to De La Hoya. What he said? He said, you know, the money's one thing, but just being in there with someone like Oscar De La Hoya, if that doesn't motivate you, nothing's going to motivate you. Mm-hmm. But come to find out, mm-hmm. he only ran one time in that whole training camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, it all depends on the person. Yeah, so you know, what that. gets you up, yeah. if you can get up, so you hope that uh, Wilder runs a few more times, you know? Yeah, I think Fury, <laughs> Fury, run, Fury yeah. runs a few more times, you know? <laughs> that guy's already, you know? So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Because I remember that as a kid. I'm like, damn, Arturo really trained hard for this one, you know? <laughs> and then we hear the stories afterward, and you're like, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so that, now we go, we go, let's move on. What's next, uh, Seth? We got the this, this past weekend's fight, right? Yep. We got this past weekend's fight. Oh, uh, also on uh, Berto, uh uh, well, Alexander Card, Peter Quillen came back with a win over yes. Jay on Love. Uh, uh, world champion Peter Quillen kind of knocking the rust off a little bit. He was with Aureliano Sosa as his first fight with Sosa. You know, I thought he looked decent, and I think you know he's a work in progress. And he got to knock the rust off, and I think that I think that he did some of that. Honestly, I don't think Jay on Love is in this position without Floyd Mayweather. Um, he's never really won an important fight. I don't count the Rosado fight because I thought he lost it and he gave it to him. Um, uh, and that's probably the most important fight he won, if you can call that a win. But um, I, I think on, on the on the shoulders of Floyd Mayweather, I think he's gone further than he probably should have, you know, or, or or ever would have, you know. And I think, I think, the most frustrating thing about watching that night because Peter Collins a friend of mine, and you know, Jay Leon's a guy that I respect, but you know, I call a spade a spade. Jay Leon's a guy that has not accomplished anything in this in this sport, so he should have probably been the guy who wanted it more than Peter Quillen, who's already been a world champion and is 35 years old and is probably, you know, you, if you push him a little bit, you find out just how much he really wants it or if he's past that desire point of his career where he's willing to dig deep, you know. Jay Leon Love never let us find out. Like, there's a 30-year-old guy who's never accomplished anything in his career. He's got an opportunity here to push for it. 
and he didn't even push halfway for it. He didn't push at all for it. Like, he was just glad to survive. And I can't stand, I can't stand when fighters get put in that position that have never done anything, and then they don't do anything. Because there were so many guys, more guys who deserved that child opportunity, and they, don't, and, they, and, they, and they don't get it because they don't have the connections or they don't have the right networking or whatnot. And then you get it, and that's what you do. You lay an egg like that, you know? So, so go out fighting. You know, it's not about winning and losing sometimes. It's about showing me that you appreciate that opportunity. It could be your last chance. You, your, your promoter has done a lot of good by you. Mayweather has uh, in, in, in Love's case, including getting him decisions that he didn't deserve in the past. And then, you know, that's the performance you give. Like, you got to – people have all but forgotten about you already, and they bring you back as a comeback opponent for Quillen. You upset Quillen. It's a, it's a win over an ex-world champion. You know, like, you, you, you kind of get back on, on, on the stage, on a certain stage here. And that's, that's the performance you give at 30 years old? At 30 years old? You know what I mean? Like, I won my second world title at 31. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you still got a lot left at 30. You know, like – so, undefeated job so, in his country. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, it was a it was a – it, it was a uh, it was a, a weird weird emotion uh, for me to watch that fight and, and, and thinking about a lot all, all those things you know but that's my two cents on that fight too. I concur, <clears throat> and actually, to be honest, I was in camp with with uh, Kid Chocolate for most of the, of his camp because uh, we have our kids from Italy that train with Sosa as well. So um, he was ready to dig down even if Jaleon brought it, but. You never know yeah, in that know. on that day on yeah. that time. Yeah, you don't know you if know. he's you getting frustrated when, or whatever. You don't know until you you're actually do. being. You got to put your best foot forward and everything. You know, and when you, and Jillian never let us find out. That was that was really a frustrating thing about it. You know, um, Garcia and Porter. I thought the fight could have won either way. I really did. Um, I thought you know it was the busyness of Sean Porter against the more accurate, heavier shots of Danny Garcia. It's the it's the. Uh, uh, debate, age-old debate in boxing, you know, uh, what's what you count better, the busier guy, the guy who's kind of going for it more, or the guy who's going to land better shots and try to set only throw when he's perfectly set up his shots. I thought it was a, a good competitive fight between two elite welterweights, you know. And and honestly, you know, Porter getting it, you know, he, he, a lot of times he seems the busier guy. If you're going to for me, if you're going to give it some way, it was either 6'6 six, six or 7'5 Porter. Um, I thought Garcia had landed good shots, but I didn't think he landed enough of them. Um, I thought he landed the better shots a lot of times. And sometimes people will say, okay, you know what? Well, the better shots are the ones that should win you the round. Okay. I can't argue with that. This is why I can't argue with you if you think Garcia won, you know? Um, but it seemed like to me like Porter was um, – not only doing more, a little more, or attempting to do a little more, he also seemed like he was trying to create more, even even as the, even when the body language of the fight. And sometimes you sell the fight on the body language as well. And I thought Porter sold the fight on the body language as well on some of the rounds. You know, like Danny kind of watched a lot of what's going on, and he was trying to make it happen, um, but he wasn't really doing a lot of creating. He was waiting for Porter to come in, and sometimes Porter came in so wildly as he usually does a lot of times, less in this fight, but so wildly that you know he threw Danny off with some headbutts, and then Danny ended up giving ground and not being able to punch with him like he likes to do all the time. And so it was uh, it made for some scrappy exchanges and whatnot, but a good competitive close fight. Honestly, if it would have made it a draw, it would have been nice because it would have got a rematch out of it and maybe got a more con more concrete winner. But um, I think you know. They, they, they decided to go with the Porter fight, with the Porter as a winner, and that's the way it went. What do you think? Um, I have my own two cents on this one. I actually uh, disagree. I disagree on many, many levels with this one. And the reason I disagree is because I felt Porter won the fight. 
uh, when I say disagree, I disagree with Paulie, obviously. Um, to me, this was the most mediocre version of Porter you're ever going to get. Porter, if he's not a Tasmanian devil bull rushing you, he's an average fighter. He's not an elite welterweight. What makes him an elite welterweight is his supreme conditioning and his relentlessness to never stop attacking you and smothering you and making you feel like you're dying in there. Making you feel like you can't wait for this fight to be over. None of that happened in the 12 rounds. Hold on. Danny Garcia, none of that happened in the 12 rounds. The spots in between the mid-range distance, Danny Garcia is an elite welterweight. He's an elite boxer. Maybe not an elite welterweight because he's a former junior welterweight, and I'm fine with that. But he's way better of a talent than Porter. And he's supposed to beat the shit out of Porter so bad from that mid-range and frustrate him so bad that he creates Porter to become his original self and start becoming ugly and start becoming wild and start rushing in. And he didn't do that. And Porter was able to confuse him with stupidity and just sit there and have dull moments and then rush in when he felt like it and fuck and make Danny confused and all this bullshit. The, the Porter that we saw Saturday night against Danny would not last 12 rounds with Keith Thurman. What he would do was get his ass kicked and get pummeled and probably get dropped and then revert back to his old ways with Keith Thurman. I, I, I'm going to disagree back, and I'm going <laughs> to uh, say, say it this way. Um, I think game planning is essential. I don't think Porter fights that way against Thurman because that's not the, fight, the style of fight you're going to fight against Thurman because it's not going to work, and I think even the Porters know but that. But according to Kenny, that's the yeah. way he should be fighting all the yeah. time. I don't, yeah, well, that, I, think that's, I think that's where Barry Hunter came in. I think the footwork usage, I'm, I'm going to probably credit Barry Hunter on it because it's, it's footwork we haven't seen to that degree from Porter. Um, one, thing I'm gonna say, one thing I'm going to say about patience. Porter's footwork is we, Danny has always had trouble with, with guys who move like that. You know what? Let's not forget he had a controversial decision against Ashley Theophane before he ever won a world title. Movement has always troubled uh, uh, Garcia, as elite as he is, you know? Um, and, uh, a lot Mauricio of... Herrera. And, and so, you know, even Mauricio Herrera, you know, like... You know, that's why I, I liked the fight when I got the Garcia fight. You know, I liked it for myself. But unfortunately, my legs were not cooperative as much as they could have been by that point in my career. But a, a, a great fighter, nonetheless, is Danny. He's had some quality wins in his career. But he's and we all have our weaknesses and we suffer to certain things. And Danny's always suffered the guys who were able to move. And I think... The Porter movement was was more. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna go on and win here, but I think it was more brought in by the uh, Barry Hunter being assistant in the in the training camp. But we saw a, a game plan from Porter that we hadn't seen in probably a while, so probably before he even became champion. And I think that jumping out and jumping in, then in and out, uh, using his legs and even countering with ones and one twos, um, off of the Garcia half steps, even the feints and whatnot. I think that it kind of threw Danny for a, a loop in, in some spots. And that's not to say that Porter definitely wins the fight. Because, again, like I said, you, for me, in my eyes, you can make it 6-6-7-5, six, six, Porter. You know, like, so it's, 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 it's still a made for a very competitive fight. That just goes to show you how good Danny is. That Danny fought a style that he's not a, very good against usually. And still, he could have possibly won the fight, you know. So, but... But I do think that Porter cognizantly made that game plan with his team, and I and I do I, I don't think it's a it's a specific game plan for a Keith Thurman fight for Porter. I think it's a specific game plan for this fight, and and it worked. Having said that, I have to get this off my chest. In the same building, with the same commission, there was a fight five years ago where the champion came in and threw more punches 
and 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 more combinations. That was a busier fighter against the challenger that landed that was considered to have landed more accurately with the harder shots, but was a lot less busy. And the decision went the opposite way. It went with the guy who landed, who threw a lot less. He was even less busy than Garcia was on Saturday night, by the way, and landed the cl- the, the cleaner shots on that night. Are you trying to say? I'm trying to say my fight against Adrian <laughs> Broner was almost was, uh, was, punches around? Was, was was a version of of Saturday night's fight, but yet the judges went the other way with style wise this time. And I'm not that's not to say you should go one way or the other. I'm saying there's no fucking consistency in boxing because boxing judges suck ass. Okay? <laughs> not only do they suck ass, they cognitively suck ass. It's not like they don't know what they're doing. They they don't, the problem is they know exactly what they're doing. Okay, They pick a favorite, and that's where they want it to go. Okay, On the night of me and Broner, there was no way that I was leaving the ring without my, my world title. They just had already decided Broner was going to win. On Saturday night, I think the politics of boxing dictate that more likely, if Sean Porter wins the fight, it's easier to make the Errol Spence fight than, than it is... Uh, to make the Errol Spence fight if Danny Garcia wins the fight. Danny Garcia is a more of a negotiator. He was he's uh, at a different point in his life and his career where he's well, you know, he wants to be paid correctly and, and he's going to be a play, play a little more hardball at the negotiating table. While Porter just wants the fights, he's still at that point in his career, even though they're the same age, where he wants all the fights. You know, so I think some of the politics came into play there, and it's a, you know, it said you know what, it's easier to make the Spence fight if we give if we give Porter this decision. You know. Uh, and I think within one or two fights, Porter will fight Earl Spence. It may not be the next fight, but I think within two fights, I think you'll get an Earl Spence on Sean Porter fight. And that's funny that you say that because in the ring, Porter says, because Porter approached Danny in the ring after Danny's knockout went over Brandon Rios. And then Errol Spence goes in and, you know, does the same thing. And Porter says, well, this will be the easiest fight in boxing to make because Porter don't duck or dodge anyone. And obviously Spence wants it. But now you hear, now you hear Kenny Porter saying, "Well, if they want us to fight Spence, it should be pay per view." <laughs> like he's trying to get himself out of the situation. <laughs> I don't know how you're gonna go pay per view with either guy. Either much, yeah, you know? Hey, your son, your son can't sell out my living room because you know, like you got to be Errol is just that star power, but he's not. Not yet. He's not known enough yet to be a pay per view guy. You know? Hey, um, I don't know. Like, from, from my vantage point, I feel like uh, Porter's made for Spence. So, what do you guys think? I think everybody's made for Spence. Yeah. <laughs> Who's not made for Spence in the welterweight division right now? You know? Are you gonna you gonna give me somebody that's gonna beat him? <laughs> I, I have a hard time finding that guy. You know. And we, well, him and Crawford are going back and forth too. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's all BS. If you know, if Crawford really wanted to fight, I think he would have you know left top rank. I mean, I, I understand top rank does, is, I'm, I, and I all respect the top rank. They're a great promoter, and promotional company, but all what you you got to go where all the welterweights are if you're a welterweight. You know, if if if. And that's not, you know, sometimes it's not always the best decision to come to him inside because some, most of the fighters in your weight class might be somewhere else. But in this particular case, in the welterweight division, you got to come to Showtime because all the welterweights are at Showtime. So it's also know, difficult for him to even get a Mikey fight, yeah, right? Yeah, it's difficult for him to get everybody. I mean, look what happened to Kel Brook. Kel Brook was one of the best welterweights of our generation, and nobody's ever going to know about it because he wasn't with him, you know? So sometimes it's, it, it's, 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 the, it's the stable that controls the the. The promoter, you might be with a great promoter. Hearn is a great promoter. Top rank is a great promoter. But sometimes it's about owning the stable. And in, the, in this particular weight class, the stable is pretty much owned by Heyman. And so having said that, it's easier to make the big welterweight fights if you're a Heyman fighter. I don't think Spence gets threatened, really, until he moves up to 154. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a big welter, so it could be, you know, coming up pretty soon, you know, whenever it is. And, and I think even at 54, he'll be a good fighter. He might even win the title, but he'll be definitely tested, you know. So, so that's you my way class. So you guys don't think – well, I guess we got to see what Thurman looks like coming off the injury, right? And, um, yeah. And if, if, you know, if 
Spence clear, clearings up the division. Maybe uh, the public will, you know, demand that Crawford fight. Maybe it can happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's not let's not put the car before the horse. Clearing out the welterweight division is is is, is easier said than done, you know. And it's gonna yes. take some time as well because there's live guys there. You know, Porter's a live guy. Thurman is a live guy. You know, uh, you know, there's Devin Alexander you know, who keeps getting around. He's a solid guy. Garcia still lingering. You know, the, the 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 right under the. There's guys with world class, but just under the elite, right? Uh, right, them like Garcia, like Alexander, Louis Colazzo, like Colazzo still around, winning fights, and can't get a big fight. You know, like it's you know, there's there's guys out there. You know, there's guys out there you can still make plenty of fights with. You know, so we'll see. Speaking of weight, speaking of weight, how do you think? We're assuming that uh, that Keith Thurman is just gonna heal up, come back, and be able to make 147 with no problem. I don't know how he makes it, how he's made it in the past. Yeah, he's been 147 for a long time, so. I don't. I don't take it. You know, I, I'm not guaranteeing that he comes back and he's just comfortable making 147. So mm-hmm. he could be a potential 154 pounder as well. Yeah, yeah. He's he's always a big welterweight as well. It'll be interesting. Paulie, you're talking about you know guys trying to make fights and with what promoters are with, and you guys in the past talked about Boo Boo, who you know you, you thought would never get that shot, and now he's getting that shot finally. Yeah, well, you know, he signed with Eddie Hearn, who we just mentioned as one of the top promoters in the world uh, with Max Roman. So. Getting once you get with a, a, a powerful team, you're able to, you know. I think, unfortunately, the politics of boxing are, are more important to navigate than actually being a good fighter. You know, you, you can be a lesser fighter and be with a more powerful promoter, or you can be an elite fighter and be with a lesser promoter. And the lesser fighter with the more powerful promoter will always go further, you know. And I think Demetrius Andre's career thus far is, is exact proof of that, you know. I don't know that in his prime. Demetrius Andre had anybody who was better than him in and around his weight class. That's how good I thought the guy was, you know. Uh, but now he's 30 years old or so, and he's finally able to go with Matchroom, and he's going to fight Billy Joe Saunders, who to me is one of the best middleweights in the world, you know. And I think he beats Billy Joe Saunders. And I think Billy Joe, I know that's all respect to Billy Joe Saunders, is a great fighter, you know. And he's not just good, he's a great fighter. But that's how good I think Demetrius Andre is, that I think he's going to beat him. And actually, well, I'm actually working that fight. I, I, I'm, uh, I was, I'm in discussion with Sky to work that fight, Sky Sports. It's going to be awesome. Up it's going to be up in Boston TV on October Garden. 20th. Uh, U.S. contract with Dazen, but I'm uh, I'm gonna do it with Sky Sports, so I look forward to uh, to being there. And my boy Mark DeLuca's also I heard is fighting on the undercard, so that's cool, you know. So yeah, the middleweight division is really shaping up as well. Has a lot of great fighters going now. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have uh, uh, actually, you know, one of my since it's my podcast, I can actually give you the story. Speaking of the middleweight division, I uh, I got called uh, a couple weeks ago by BBC Radio to work the Canelo vs. Golovkin fight. Um, and I got, um, I got, uh, uh, I got, um, you know, they were, they were looking to hire me for the Canelo vs. Golovkin fight, you know, and I obviously, I said, all right, we worked out a deal, you know, and, you know, to call a fight, I think, you know, I, I, BBC Radio was one of my first early jobs, you know, before I ever had any commentating jobs. So, you know, I, 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 I love working with them because first of all, I think doing boxing on the radio is extra cool. And second of all, you know, they're always, they were the guys, one of the guys that, kind of started me out on all this so i always uh owe them a little bit of something you know plus it's just cool it's just cool to be there and whatnot you know maybe it doesn't pay as much but it's just cool to be there and i love the guys on uh, mike costello and everybody over at bbc radio uh you know they're, they're cool guys you know steve bunce and whatnot so so i uh you know we 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 did a deal and then suddenly they called me back and say hey listen um you know we're not able to uh, get get you accreditation or, or a credential for the uh for the fight, so I we you know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to um, uh, go in another direction. So I said, okay. I said, you know, can I ask what 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 happened? They said, well, Golden Boy won't give it to us, you know. And wow. Can't. So 
you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that it's, uh, it's because I've never had a problem with Golden Boy even after leaving them. Um, and I've never had anything bad to say about Golden Boy because, I, you know, I, my time with Golden Boy was uh, productive. Even though they totally jerked me in the Adrian Broner promotion, they, you know, they stood by as, as Broner got everything he wanted in that promotion and didn't do anything for me. And it, it, that kind of contributed to, to the reason why I left them. It made me realize that being a Golden Boy fighter without Al Heyman means you got no pull at all. So I need to go with Al Heyman. And so that's why I left them. But, but I think, you know, up until that point, you know, I had won a world title with them. I, I, I never had a problem with Golden Boy. And I never bad-mouthed uh, Golden Boy promotions, you know, because, you know, my time with them, I, I consider it productive. I consider it uh, an experience in my career, you know. But this, I think, comes as a little bit of a surprise. I think if I'm going to guess right, it's probably because of the comments I made on Canelo being on steroids. I don't have to jump the gun. He, the guy failed the drug test, so the guy was Ugh. on steroids, you know, like, and that's the problem with boxing. I think the the problem the problem is that promoters have the the right to decide who gets uh, credited with uh, credentials for fights to cover fights and who doesn't. You know, don't get me wrong. Some reporters are just jerk offs with 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 agendas and whatnot. I am not one of those guys. Like if I I if I legitimately think you cheated, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to call you out on it. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think it's it's an agenda to to call out a guy who actually failed the drug test. Um, and, and honestly, maybe their fear was that I would talk about it on fight night. And obviously I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I think there's one thing to give you one time to give your personal opinion on in personal interviews and another thing to work a professional fight and, uh, actually call the fight. You know, I think my situations with Adrian Broner and Conor McGregor, when I called their fights showed that, you know, I put personal situations aside and I, uh, and I just called the fight, you know, and I would have done that with Golovkin and Canelo, but. I think it does show you, and I and it's no really sweat off my back. I'm not one of these promoters that lives in. I'm not one of these reporters that lives in, uh, or media guys that lives and dies by having to cover a fight. I don't give a shit. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm going to England next week to cover the AJ versus Povetkin fight anyway. I just came from vacation in Italy, so honestly, so I get to stay in New York a couple extra days, which is cool because I'm never in New York anyway. So, so you know, it's it's cool in that way. I watch the fight at a house party at Peter Cards' house, you know. But um, regardless, it does make you realize. You probably need the commissions to be in charge of who gets credentials for these fights, for media credentials, and not the promoters. Because otherwise, how can you call out shitbag promoters? Think about it. If a promoter is a shitbag and say he steals from fighters or say they're, they're willingly allowing doping in their stable or whatever you think could be a, a corrupt situation, they have the power to not credential you for the fights you're covering. You know what I'm saying? So how do you ever call out shitbag promoters? Why, why do you think guys like Dan Rayfield never call out promoters? Instead, they give them blowjobs. Think about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like guys, guys, like, guys like that blow every promoter. Why Don't you notice that? Like, why do you, Because they love getting credentialed in the front row and whatnot, and then they love all that. You really, It shouldn't come to the promoters having this kind of power. The commissions should really, I think, have – and obviously you would be creating more work for the commissions, but it would be the right thing to do. To give the commissions the power to credential media mem members of the media or not credential media members of the media, because the promoter is always going to have the agenda to make him make him or herself look good. So you can never call them out for dirty shit that they do. Otherwise, you'll never get to the fight. You know, so so and I, honestly, I don't even. This isn't really like a martyr situation. Because I don't really give a shit about being at the fight. Honestly, I, I took the gig because it's cool and I like. I love BBC Radio and I love being working with the Brits at any at any time. And you get paid to do it. And it's a good pay to do it. And of course, it's a cool weekend. I would have met up with some cool people and some friends in Vegas and whatnot. But you know, it's it wasn't a big deal at the end of the day. But but having said that, 
I do think there's a right and a wrong way to handle these things, and I think the right way to handle a situation like this is the 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 commissions should probably have the power to credential people and not credential people. Let me let me put it to you this way: How ironic is it that Canelo has a Ticate commercial where he says, "Be bold, Sly. <laughs> Be bold, Del. You're being bold by calling the guy out, and you you get shafted over it." Yeah, isn't there irony in that? It's it's hilarious. If if this was the NFL, what you've done for boxing, you'd be the you'd be the Colin Kaepernick. You'd be the guy because you're trying to you're trying to make it all better. But but I'm actually calling out something that's actually happening. Right, right. (laughs) but I'm saying you're 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 standing for a cause, or in this case, kneeling for a cause. But you're standing for a cause. You want you want a clean sport and something that you competed in for over twenty yeah. years, but instead you get shafted for it. The yeah. irony just it makes me laugh. The hypocrisy. It, it's it's really because like he said, he's right. Uh, promoters have too much power. So that's the that's 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 where that goes. So I'll be watching the fight. Uh, so we'll be watching it here on the broadcast. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Seth. I'm coming. I'm bringing my. I'm bringing my seven kids over. We're gonna watch the fight. Nice. It's a late you bed- should. It's a, late, it's a late bedtime over here, though. We we'll party until <laughs> we'll the sun comes up. You know. I know you got a bunch of animals over there. That's a fact. And I want to close the show out by. Well, uh, uh, we have to talk about Golovkin and Canelo's opinions. Fuck no. Oh, <laughs> fuck no. Fuck no. I'm not talking about that fight. Fuck no. No shot. Yeah. Um. But I will close out the show. We we've, we've been on there for an hour already. You know what I'm saying? Uh, True. I will. Uh, I will say this. Uh, there was a month ago. Uh, Conor McGregor decided to tweet about me again. Now, I know. I know his fans get uh get get their get their panties in a bunch when um you know I get asked a question about McGregor and I answer it and I, and I always I always have a good time answering it and 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 giving him shit because you know I love calling out pussies when they're not when they don't act as pussies like. You know, if you're a poser, like I love, I love, I love breaking your balls. You know, and, and Conor, Conor McGregor is, is is one of the biggest posers in the world. You know, so so I always have a good time and I do it in good fun. And sometimes it's tongue in cheek, sometimes it's not, and whatnot. But um, you know, when he tweeted about um, this picture again, uh, where he's trying to pretend that you know he had a knockdown, um, where anybody with a brain at this point who's seen the video and and understands the the, the techniques of, of punching power or whatnot. No, the shit, the shit didn't happen that way. Um, I think, you know, I was, I wouldn't say going to say irked, but I was like, you know, when, when are his fans going to demand, if he's going to keep talking about it, and he's obviously keeps talking about it, like it's, he, like I talk about it when I get asked about the situation. He brings it up all by himself. Like, I, I feel bad in some ways that I, that I, I, that he's still thinking about me after all this time. Like, think about it. You made a documentary about your life. And you put the you put the couple of seconds of footage that you had because only guys a couple of seconds. Trust me, um, this and you've all seen the couple of seconds that he has. Um, put the footage on his documentary. That's a personal decision. Nobody nobody asks you about that. You know what I'm saying? That's a personal decision you did. You know what what about the fact that he made a hundred over a hundred million dollars last year? Yeah, forget and, about that. And he's thinking about and, his and, sparring partner. Yeah, and then he's thinking about hundred. You had two kids, and then you have, and then and then you go on Twitter and, and you're thinking about me again. Now you're thinking about me all by yourself, bro. Like you have somebody has to ask me about kind of for me to think about him. Like I don't, I don't think about him like that. You know what I'm saying? Like so, like I feel bad, like. I, I honestly like sometimes like you know sometimes you dislike somebody and and you know you, you, you don't put you don't kind of put yourself in their shoes and then I try to put myself in my in in in, in his shoes. Boy, he got the shit beat out of him by me, by Mayweather, 
by Nate Diaz. He's gonna get the shit beat out of him next month. Like, like this guy's like the the personal punch punch bag of like all combat sports. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, then I think like, you know, I'm the only one really insulting him. Like Floyd made nice with him. You know, if you made him, you made him three hundred million dollars. Floyd's gonna make him treat him nice now. After all that, it was a free three hundred million dollars. You know. Nate is cool with them because, you know, they're they're both in MMA and they're, you know, they're blood brothers and that. And when I don't respect the Nate, that's fine. You know, Nate, they beat him. Uh, I, I wouldn't respect him if I was Nate because Connor owes him a third fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, Nate choked you out like a bitch that you are. And you beat him by the skin of your teeth and then you run away instead of giving him a third fight. So, to me, like, I don't know. That's some bitch shit. Because uh, Nate was happy with the couple of pennies that he made. That's the problem. No, but that's some bitch shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think Nate deserved a third fight, you know? And then, of course... He's gonna get the shit beat out of him all over the place by by Nagamedov. So, so I thought like you know the only one that's really harping on it is me. You know, and, and I and I think maybe the abuse bothers him. I think the abuse maybe it it, it it he's he's it's hard for him to sleep at night because who else would think about this? But it's been a year. It's been a year. So you got your kids. You got your ass kicked by other people besides me in the past year. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's been a year. I know it was a bad month. August was a bad month. Everybody beat the fuck out of him. I was beating the fuck out of him. Deshaun Johnson was a journeyman in boxing. Was beating the shit out of him to the point where he had to go easy on him in the sparring in the gym. Like then the, I watched the sparring session. Deshaun had to go easy on him. You know. Um, then uh, Floyd Mayweather beat the fuck out of him. I was gonna get the shit beat. Like, I, I, August August 2017 is one of probably one of the worst months of his life. But, but <laughs> I, I, he, everybody was beating the fuck out of him that month. It was crazy, you know. So so like I feel bad, but but the thing is this, you know, like I, I know for all the MMA fans, sometimes they like to leave comments and like they like to make themselves heard and whatnot. But here's the thing: if you've ever gotten into a fight in your life, in your life, and this is how you know you're a pussy if you still think Conor McGregor did anything but get his ass kicked by me last year. If you ever gotten into, you know this. If you ever have ever gotten into any kind of fight in your life, you know this. You got to be in pretty good shape to give an ass kicking. You got to be in pretty good shape. But but to receive an ass kicking, you have to be in much better shape. You know what I'm saying, Seth? You got to be you, you got to be in very good shape to receive an ass kicking. Now, think about this. I got up off the couch, got on a plane, <laughs> flew cross country, was sparring in less than 24 hours, and then went 12 rounds. So in reality, could I ever have got my ass kicked if I went twelve rounds under those circumstances? Could it, it is the option of me ever getting my ass kicked there? You know what I'm saying? Like, like not only did you get your ass kicked, you were like my dog. Like we, you, you, we sparred at my pace, and my pace was the one I, I controlled because my pace was the way the only way we were gonna go twelve rounds is if I controlled the pace, and I controlled him like he's my dog. You know what I'm saying? Like. Like, I was actually making the sparring session. Like, he would even throw him less, you know, because I control him like he's my dog. That's how much superior I was then. But but I I feel bad for these MMA guys. I feel bad for the MMA fighters. You know, like, all the MMA fighters that, that trolled me, you know, like, I have a lot. I, I, MMA was a, a sport just like any combat sport where, you know, I, I respect the fighters and I respect anybody that does fighting for a living. I think people have heard me say this quote in the past, even before all this happened, before the McGregor's fiasco happened, that I respect all fighters that, get in the get in a ring or cage because i have to respect you and if you do the combat for a living it's a very hard way to make a living and i have to respect you i think i've taken that back for the most part i have a lot of respect for the mma fighters i've met you know what i'm saying they've always been friendly they've always been cool for the most part aside from mcgregor you know um and his clan um i have a lot of respect for the old-time mma fighters you know guys like randy couture and the guys in that generation you know the guys that really knew how to be not only fighters but men and whatnot but honestly, this generation, you'd be surprised. Like, I wasn't just getting trolled by MMA fans. I was getting trolled by MMA fighters. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was getting trolled by guys. Like, like at the end of the day, I know you want to defend your guy and whatnot. But, like, 
you gotta have the you gotta also understand the reality of the situation too. Like nobody disrespected your sport. He got his ass kicked in my sport by me. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody's disrespecting your sport. But yeah, they're coming to me on on some disrespect shit. You know what I'm saying? And like Mike Bisping going out and saying all this stuff about me. He was saying that he had heard I, I was I, I lost all my big fights and I wasn't that good and whatnot, bro. I had a better boxing career than Michael Bisping had an MMA career. Did, did anybody ever tell him that? Like, I, I had a better boxing career than Conor McGregor had an MMA career. Maybe not as financially feasible, but I won two world titles, defended them. This guy has not literally not beaten a single good fighter aside from Jose Aldo, who is 175 years old when they fought. Max <laughs> Holloway doesn't count, bro. Max Holloway never fights again. Like, Max Holloway's not going to be UFC Hall of Famer. He's not going to be remembered. Oh, I, I don't understand. This guy, this guy got beat by Nate Diaz who took the fight on a week's notice. Like, I don't understand, like, where they're coming from. And if you put McGregor and Bisping's career together, maybe you equal my career. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? You had, speaking of Max Holloway, you had him trolling me as well. You know, you had, uh, Oh, well, so he got to defend himself. He got to defend his uncle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, uh, it was a, several different guys. You know, Jose Aldo talked shit about me in an interview. Like, like, bro, I'll put it to you like this, bro. Listen, I retired from fighting. I retired from boxing. But you know, they have this new bare knuckle boxing shit. You know, they have this new bare knuckle boxing thing, and you know, it's like we're getting a lot of MMA fighters, and it's getting a lot of boxers involved and whatnot. And I'll tell you this: it may, it dawned, something dawned on me because I said, "How is Conor McGregor not a big puncher in boxing?" Like everybody was so high on this punching power, and it and it was almost almost pitiful. You know what I'm saying? And I sort of think to myself, you know what it is? Mixed martial artists are not used to getting hit with the kind of accuracy that boxers are used to getting hit with. Conor McGregor from mixed martial artist is an accurate puncher. He's not an accurate puncher in boxing because boxers were used to having fists coming our way. But in MMA, where you're not always used to having shots coming your way that are sharp, you know, he's, he's landing much cleaner than these guys are getting, used to getting hit. And so they're getting knocked out with these small gloves. But at the end of the day, he's not a big puncher. He's an accurate puncher. And so it's a big difference because then he came to boxing and he wasn't a puncher at all. He's being backed up by me and sparring, by any of the sparring partners, by Mayweather's backing him up as well, walking him down. You know, that's, those aren't things that happen to a guy who punches big. You know what I'm saying? Common sense, again. So I started thinking, you know, like, what, what is this with the trolling? What, what, what was with the trolling? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like a cult. No, it's not only like a cult because, like I said, I respect that. There's guys I respect there. You know what I'm saying? There's guys I've But they met, feel that they I've have met, to like, defend their but, sport. But, dude, but it wasn't even that because I've met guys like Luke Rockhold, George St. Pierre. I've, met, I've hung Chris out with Weidman. guys like Anthony Pettis. Chris I've, hung, I've, I've hung out with all those guys, and I've had a great time. You know what I'm saying? Like, like so, it's, so, yeah, George, you know, so it's like I, I can't say I disrespect the sport, but there's like a – a thing in this new generation, not just the fans. I mean, fans are mostly pussies anyway. I mean, uh, MMA fans are weird because they actually watch a fight and they think they can fight, you know, like, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it was funny, you know, like, they, they call, a couple of, I had a couple of situations happen on, on fight week on um, McGregor Mayweather. I can't really talk about them. I don't want to lose my job, but you guys know who you are if you were involved with me in the couple of fiascos that happened on fight week. And, and you know, it didn't turn out too well for you either. Um, but, but I'll say this, at the end of the day, I don't, I'm going to try to close it off with this. I think I think everybody talks shit about one thing or the other. I think that you have to respect combat sports in general. I think uh, it's important to respect fighters in general. I think I've lost a lot of respect for that, for that sport and the people in it, um, even unwillingly, unfortunately. But I'll tell you this. You know, we, they have this new bare knuckle boxing thing, you know. And, you know, since I'm not a big puncher and everybody seems to think they're a big puncher, 
if any MMA fighter that trolled me, because you know you got to be around my weight too. You know, you, obviously I can't I can't take on the, some heavyweights or whatnot. You know what I'm saying? But but if we we can actually meet up in in a, in a bare knuckle boxing, and I'm retired. I'll have to go to camp and everything. We actually, you know, and I will knock you the fuck out. You know how you get knocked the fuck out? Like, you get knocked the fuck out cold. Like, you understand what it is to fight a professional boxer with bare, bare hands and the accuracy a professional boxer has. I don't think people at home understand what that is. I don't think you have a clue. I will knock you the fuck out. Any of you MMA motherfuckers that want to stop trolling, actually get in there and do it in a bare knuckle event, I will knock you the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and a couple of people that have been in street fights with me understand what this means, okay? And I have in mind you haven't been in a street fight in a long time, but understand what this means, okay? Accuracy with bare hands is a lot different than accuracy with gloves, and it's a lot different than what you're used to dealing with in general, okay? This is professional boxing. Okay? This is punching at a highest, highest level with accuracy at the highest, highest level. And they will okay? be doesn't matter, flies before doesn't matter they how, It doesn't matter how much of a puncher you are, how much of a puncher you think you are. Bare hands, accuracy counts. And McGregor, of course, is obviously living proof of that because the guy couldn't punch his way out of a wet paper bag, even with eight-ounce gloves. And eight-ounce gloves hurt when you can punch. Eight-ounce gloves eight ounce have gloves. never been done before. Yeah, eight-ounce gloves. Eight-ounce gloves. You know, they, they hurt, bro. Like, they hurt when you're a puncher, a real puncher. Like, you know, we've, I've been in boxing my whole life. They hurt know? on your arms. You, you know, so, feel them. so this guy to get walked down by Mayweather after he was throwing punches with eight-ounce gloves, after he landed a big uppercut with eight-ounce gloves, let will show you just what a bitch puncher he actually was. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> and yet he's knocking all these guys out in MMA. You know what I'm saying? So it's really accuracy. It's not power so much with these guys. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm going to leave it off at. We'll see what kind of reactions we get. Mm. On that note, all right. <laughs> I think we covered. I think we covered our whole summer. I think uh, you know. I look forward to joining my uh, uh, UK fans next week with uh, AJ and Pavekin. I, I, it's going to be an amazing fight. I mean, I, I, amazing show, amazing fight. I think Pavekin is really a live guy. Um, I, I think anytime you're in Wembley Stadium with an AJ fight, it's just an event. I think. I, I hope. I'm not even. I'm not even like a salesman or anything. I'm. I don't. I'm not saying this to be a salesman. Like, AJ Klitschko was the most amazing sporting event I ever attended live in my life. But AJ in any stadium, like, if you get a chance to watch him in a it's stadium electric. event, it's electric and it's just a, an, a, an atmosphere that you have to experience once in your life. If you're a, especially if you're a boxing fan, this is an atmosphere that you won't find anywhere else. AJ in a stadium, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure there's going to be other opportunities after this fight <clears> or whatnot because he's always going to be a stadium guy at this point if he's fighting in the UK. But AJ in a stadium is one of a kind. And I suggest if you have never experienced it, you got to get out there and experience it. And I look forward to working yet another AJ fight next week with Sky Sports. On that note, we're out of here until uh, the next episode we decide to do, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. <laughs> All right. We hope you guys we hope you guys missed us. Not too bad. We hope you guys uh, enjoyed the show. <laughs>